Is it working out? Awesome. Good morning. I hate to I hate to cut into people's fellowship. I just want to let people just keep on talking and talking. Just having a good time. I know. How is everybody this morning? It feels so weird. To anoint it to be disappointed. It's so weird having this thing this loud. Like it, I feel like I'd have to be whispering. I don't want to. I don't want to yell and like bother anybody. It'll hurt their ears. Mrs. Brooks, how about you? You doing okay this morning? You look chipper. You look like you got your sleep last night. No. My kids were asking me last night. I said, guys, we got to get in bed. I said, tonight. I said, we got to move the clocks forward. And I think this was the first year that my kids were like, what? Like they didn't really understand. And I said, yeah. I said, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I said, the clock's going to go from 2 to 3. And one of my five kids said, we're going to go into the future. <laughs> so I took that and I ran with it. And I said, yes, we're all we're going to shift in the future one hour. Now, I was trying to explain daylight savings and spring forward and spring back. They didn't understand it. They couldn't understand it. Connor looked at me last night, and he said the wisest thing about the whole thing at the end of the night. He says, Dad, why do we do such silly things? I said, I don't know. We just move the clock back and forth. I said, it has something to do with more daylight. So, yeah. But anyway, um, let's go ahead and take a moment to pray. And uh, what do we need to be thinking about this morning in prayer? What's going on right now? Okay. Talking about the war in Ukraine. Davison? Okay. He wants to pray for him and his kids. Thank you. Anybody else? What's that? Rain. We found out back in Nashville, back in our former home, it's uh, sleet, ice, and snow again, which never happened. I mean, until we moved here. So it has something to do with us. I don't know. It must be. Must be. What else? Yes, the women's walk is coming up next week. My wife will be on that walk. Super excited for her, super terrified for me to be home with all the children by myself. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And brother. Okay. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Maxan? I'm sorry. Yes. A lot of changes happening with Celebrate Recovery. Pray for the leadership. Pray for the direction. Pray for the future. David, how's he doing? Okay. I'll follow up with him here today. 
Yes, sir. Uh, David Miller. Um, di- uh, one second, one. Um, Rick, what did you say about David? He's got back pain. Passed out. Okay. Okay. Is he still there? At the end? He's at home? Okay. So we'll follow up with David today and see how he's doing. Okay. Uh, one. Okay. Who's that? Uh, Maxanne? Good. Very good. Yes, ma'am. Your family? Okay. That's your... Son-in-law? That's right, Bo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's he is in uh, stage one kidney failure. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I didn't hear you, honey. What? Okay. Okay. Last call. Then we're going to pray. Yes, ma'am. Pray for you. Okay. Let's pray the Lord. Heavenly God, our King, our Father, our Lord and Savior, we want to come before you and thank you, Father, for this blessing, this time to worship you, to spend time in your word. And God, we know that your word is like a washing, it's a renewing. So Lord, we we come before you this morning for the renewing of our minds and hearts and we ask that you would give, them, give us wisdom and insight as we go into your word. I pray that this will be a transformative time for us um, as we look into the mirror of truth. And God, we want to pray for some names that were put forward uh, by your saints this morning. Uh, we obviously want to remember about the war that's going on in Ukraine and for the different sides and for the different reasons why They're fighting this war. Lord, we know that war is yet another symptom of the sinfulness that that exists in this world and that it is because of that that we needed Jesus as our Savior. And I pray that you would bring an end to this conflict and that you would help it to not expand and spill over into other areas. Um, I I pray for Darrison, for him and his kids. I pray for um, 
Martha Laura's family, um, different ones. I pray for her and her family. There's just so many different people in her family that are struggling with different things. And I pray for health. I pray for healing. I pray for doors of opportunity. God, I pray for David Miller. I don't know exactly what's going on with him yet, but I do pray that um, that he is getting the care that he needs, that they're finding out what's going on with him, that he will have uh, swift healing and recovery. Uh, I pray for Juan, for his health, uh, for his healing. I pray for Connie uh, Weber, and thank you for the, the, the healing that's happening in her body, for the cancer that is um, going away and that's healing. Um, I pray for Celebrate Recovery, Lord, for the ministry of, of this congregation. I know it's uh, difficult sometimes when we're in transition, when things are changing, but God, I pray that you would help uh, the people that <clears throat> the people that are in leadership to be able to make good decisions and um, to make decisions that are based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and uh, the function of the ministry. Because God, at the end of the day, we just want people to be, be healed and be well. And uh, we pray that uh, you'll do so through that. We pray for rain, Lord. Um, we pray that you would help, help us to get more rain. We pray for the women's walk that's coming up next week. I pray that you would prepare not only the ladies who are going to be uh, seeking you with their whole hearts, but I also pray uh, that you would be with the ones who are, who are hosting it and putting it on and guiding and teaching and directing. Um, I pray for Pam, her family, uh, for Bo, for the kidney failure that he's experiencing. I forgot to mention him a little bit earlier, Father. I just I pray for his healing. I know he has those two precious children that he loves very, very much. And, uh, and I know that he needs his health to be able to take care of them. So I pray all these things, Lord. I pray that I have not forgotten anyone. Uh, if I have, you know. And I pray that you would help us to understand again your word. Forgive us of our sins when we fail you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, we are, <clears throat> we are still in Psalm 23. We're going to wrap up the psalm today. And if you would, go ahead and turn over there. I gave you all some homework last Sunday. We're going to take just a moment. We'll come back to the homework here in, in a moment. So don't worry about pulling out your notes on that. I know I talked to a couple of you this week, and, and about one or two of you were just about as giddy as a schoolboy because uh, uh, you were so excited about some of the things that you dug up when you were digging into the text. So hold on to that. We'll share that here in just a moment. Um, before we do, I kind of wanted to just kind of go back through Psalm 23 one more time, see if we can pick out any things that we may have missed or a couple little points that we, we needed to grab before we get to the very end. And then next Sunday, we're going to start a whole new series, a whole new topic, um, which I'm not going to get into yet. I'll leave it till next week. I'll, I'll, I'll let it be a, a little bit of a surprise, if you will. Um, Psalm 23, in what way would you say We've been talking about these ideas, these pictures in the Bible, but what, what way would you say that the idea of a shepherd is a good picture of God? How is the idea of a shepherd in the Bible, how is that a good picture of God? Okay, I have, let's see, do we have the remote, the, somebody grabbed it. Um, it's okay, say it nice and loud for me. Okay, he, his guidance. Okay, that's one, one good reason. Anyway, yes, ma'am, Roxanne. A shepherd is fully involved, permanently, with their flock. Okay, they don't take breaks, they don't run off. 
They live with them because they love them, they care for them, right? Okay. What else? Why is Good Shepherd a good picture? Oh, okay. Thank you. Sheep are stupid, which was going to be my next question, which was why, why is sheep a good picture of people, right? But we can go ahead and ask that question too, all right? Sheep are not very smart, intelligent animals, right? We've, we've kind of discussed that in the past one before a little bit. Anybody else? Okay, he's a protector. Okay. Anybody else? What are what are what would you say are two? Oh, I saw Juan's hand go up. One, huh? Love, okay. What would you say are two things in the text that this shepherd does to protect his sheep? What are the two things in this text? Two things, at least two. Verse two, huh? Okay, gives them a place to eat and puts them beside quiet water. Stop right there. Park right there for just a moment. That's the sustenance of the sheep, right? He gives them adequate food and adequate water. And one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago, and this is one thing that I failed to, uh, failed to bring up, failed to mention, failed to remember, is um, did I mention how in Bethlehem and southern Judea area, there's not a lot of grass, right? It grows, but it grows among rocky places. So if you're a shepherd and you're tending to your sheep, you're not going to have vast areas of, of, you know, valleys and meadows to be able to let your flocks graze. You're going to have certain areas that you're going to have to go to, right? So when you would take your sheep to one area and they would graze for a while, what would happen to the grass in that area? It would be gone, right? So you'd have to pick up, move somewhere else, okay? Yes, sir. That's right. That was protection for the sheep as well as the stuff. So you give them food and protection. Those were the two biggest that they could have. Yeah, food and protection. Everything. Which is why, going back to verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? I don't have any need of anything. Because he already provides everything that I need. He provides my water. He provides my food. He provides my shelter. He provides my protection. Right? So going back to the conversation about the grass, um, there's only little patches of grass here and there. Okay? So typically, when the shepherd would lead you from place to place, he would give you what you needed for that day. Isn't that interesting? Well, isn't that kind of how it is with God? Remember in the Old Testament, he gave you another picture of, I think, this kind of provision that, that he expects us to live by um, when he gave the ancient Israelites manna. Do you remember that? Here they are. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. They don't have any food. Um, and God says, I'm going to give you something from heaven. I'm going to give you this stuff called manna. And when they wake up in the morning, they look out over the hills and over the, over the area around the wilderness area. There was this white flaky substance that would pop up by the morning. They didn't know what it was, but it looked like coriander seed. It was white. They would take it. They could bake it. They could shake it. They could... <laughs> They could do whatever. They could make cakes out of it. They could do all kinds of stuff with it. Um, but they could only take so much, couldn't they? How much could they take? One day's worth. 
What if you said, well, I'm going to be, you know, the, the hoarder of the, the manna. I'm going to take two jars or three jars or four jars or five jars. What would happen to the extra jars? They would spoil. They would have worms in them and so forth, right? So the point that God was trying to make there is that you live by God's provision daily. Daily. You wake up and you live by God's provision daily. Well, guess what sheep have to do? They wake up and they live by God's provision daily. Um, do you remember the parable that Jesus told in the New Testament? He talks about counting the cost of discipleship. And he said, it's like a man who is a businessman and he has this big barn and he's filled it full of stuff and he's, he's doing so well and his business is booming. And he says, you know what? I'm going to tear down that barn. I'm going to build a bigger barn. And I'm going to fill up that bigger barn. He says, I've done so well. I have, I'm a, I've, I've reached a place in life where I can just kick back, sit back, and relax. And what did the Bible say about that man? He says, you fool. You have no idea that tomorrow your life is going to be required of you. So what point was it spending your entire life building up this nest egg, building up this retirement savings account, so that one day when you get to be 65 years old, you can sit back and relax and take it easy for the rest of your life. What's the biblical response to that kind of attitude? Trust God. Is it wrong to save up and have a 401k? I don't think that's the point at all. But the point in the text is the attitude. Do we have the kind of attitude where we're willing to get up and say, Lord, today, whatever you need, Whatever you provide, wherever you go, whatever you want is what I'll do, right? Think about it in terms of, um, well, no, we won't belabor the point. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. I got um, another. Yeah, go ahead, Roxanne. Sit on. I got another point about the 401k. Yes. Who's, where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your trust? And this, the building the bigger barn, he wasn't considering what God needed him to do. He wasn't considering the poor around him. He wasn't considering anything but, that's right. I got more. So, you know, just. And that's exactly, he was putting his trust there. It's like, look yeah. what I've got here, you know, instead of that daily provision, that daily, that daily. But in, in uh, the Proverbs, they praise a man who gets things for his children and his grandchildren. Yeah. So it depends on what, what you're saving for. You're exactly right. There's a balance in Scripture. So what he's referring to, there's a passage in the Proverbs, and I, I love the passage because it says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now I'm working on my, I'm working on mine. <laughs> I hadn't got to the kids yet. But it says a good man will be able to leave an inheritance to the children's children. Now, one thing you've got to remember about Proverbs is that they're speaking in generalities. They're speaking in general, general wisdom here, right? It's not commandments. But, but there is a sense in which, on one hand, there is wisdom in laying by in store, right? And if you have the right heart, you can lay by in store for your kids. And if you have the right heart, you can lay by in store for your kids' kids. There's nothing wrong with any of that. What the problem is, is that when you start trusting in what you've laid by in store, and that's the other guy in the parable, right? Look what I've done. He's not thinking about his kids' kids. He's thinking about how the fact that he's going to get to live the rest of his life fine. High on the hog, as we say. Different attitude, as you said. See? All right. What, um, what about verse 1? 
some people make a distinction in this. Some people don't. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you think that there is a difference between calling God your God and calling God your Lord? Is there a difference? Rick, you say no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is who he is, right? And some people do. Some people make a distinction between the two. I'm more like Rick. I don't really, don't really make much of a distinction. Yes, Augustine, you have a, you're on the edge of your seat, Augustine. You are literally on the edge of your seat. Oh, you're trying to hear me. Okay. All right. Okay, let's go down to Okay. So the Lord is my shepherd, verse one, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. We talked about those. This is that fresh green tender grass. He takes you to the very best places. He leads me beside quiet waters. And this is the one where uh, uh, David, uh, not David, um, Terry called me out because he's like, you didn't make a comment on that verse, that one verse. Um, so he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Um, what does it mean to have your soul restored? Your soul restored. Refreshes. Restoration. Yep. Before his, right. Okay. So that's what God is doing here. He's storing us. He's making us like we should be, like he intended. And so that's the idea, I think. I think so too. Colby has really gotten into these car restoration TV shows, like on TLC or whatever. So they'll take an old clunker, you know, an old car, like a classic car that's been sitting in a garage for decades, that's falling apart. And they'll take that thing and they'll just restore it. They'll put it back together. I think you know a thing or two about restoring some cars, don't you? Right? Same idea. He restores my soul. Uh, Augustine, CR. CR is all about restoring souls, ain't it? Okay. So, so what are some ways in which God restores the soul? How does he restore the soul? Mm-hmm. 
Good. Uh, yeah, Roxanne. I like the the car restoring the car analogy because you have to take away the old rusty. You have to get rid of the old stuff in order to replace it. So I think of restoring the soul is God takes away that guilt. He takes me out of a lifestyle too that was unhealthy, but He replaces it with joy. Yeah. And I can be guiltless, right? But without that joy, I'm not going to live a very godly life. So what are some things, kind of piggybacking on that, Roxanne, and there may be some others that want to add to it too. What are some of the key things that would you say in a, because that's the language we use, right? We go out to save souls. We want to win souls. We want to bring people in here so people can have their souls saved. What does that mean? What are some things that, that you would say that need to be restored? In, in most of our lives? What are some things that need restored in our lives for us to be the people that God has called us to be? That's the question. Pam? Mind, body, heart? Okay. Uh, Maxanne? But what are some specific things? Let me give you an example. Um, Helped a woman come to Christ one. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. Helped a woman come to Christ one time who um, had been abused her whole life. And, and when I say abused, I mean sexually abused, physically abused somewhat. Um, but when she first came to church, how do you feel like she handled relationships? Yeah, pretty skeptical, right? So she, she came in, she trusted nobody. And she barely trusted me. Um, men especially had, had really hurt her over the years. And so um, my wife had to help with, with this quite a bit. But over time, as she kept coming to church, as she kept going into God's Word, as she started making friends with other people in the church, guess what started to happen over time? She started to heal she started to have friends, she started to talk, she started to open up again, and, and that's, that's what you're seeing. See, when, when we're coming to Christ, he's starting that process of healing, and he restores my soul for her. She had to have trust restored. She had to have relationship, ability to have relationships restored. So what are some of the other things in our lives that need restored? Yes. There we go. That's a restoration, isn't it? Yes. Hmm. Very good. Very good. What about when an addict walks in the door? Let's say you have a meth addict. I hear there's a lot of meth problems in this community. What needs to be restored in that person who walks in this church who's a meth addict? Pam? Their minds. Their minds need to be restored. For the most part, they're not even thinking clearly no more because they're, they're living in a whole different place because of the drug. Okay? 
So mind thinking needs to be restored. Just just being away from the drug for a while <laughs> needs to be restored. What else? Tim, you know, this idea of restoring implies that we the wear and tear and difficulties of life make all of us have a loose loss of our faith or a loss of our you know, our attitude just gets pretty bad sometimes. That's it. And yeah. so we have to be restored constantly. It's kind of like our body, you know, or the cells in our body are destroyed and re- replaced all the time. That's right. So to stay alive, you know, you have to get, have that restoration. It's the same thing with our souls. Good. Uh, yes, Max, Dan? I think from Yeah. So that kind of goes back to the thinking that needs to change. So let's say you walk in here and your only exposure to God over the course of your life has been this angry, distant God that may be fearful, angry, distant. And so you walk in and you start hearing about this God that loves you and that forgives you and that will restore you and that will help you and that will transform you. And at first, it sounds unbelievable, right? But over time, truth has to restore that thinking to allow you to let him in, right? Okay, very good. Uh, James. When you remove a bad addiction, you have to replace it with something. Yes. And the Holy Spirit is what... That's right. Um, I wanted to make another quick point here. Look at verse... Let's see. He restores my soul. Look at verse three. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, Back up to verse two. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I came across this just this last week. I did not know this. Who has who? There's there was somebody in here who's had sheep before. Okay, Jim Bob. Sheep don't typically. I want to test this to see if it's right or if it's just some silly thing I read in the commentary. Do sheep typically lie down? Do they like to lie down? They do like to lie down? Okay. Well, they probably blew that out of the water. I read, tell me if I'm right, but I read that sheep typically will not lie down unless they know that their environment is safe. Sheep typically lie down at night. Okay. And no matter how large a pasture or paddock you have, they seem to tend to always get in a corner. They get in a corner? Okay, okay. Now, this, this commentator, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll, I'm going to go off of both of those, but this commentator made a point that I thought was really, really good. He said that sheep typically will not lay down unless they don't have anxiety. Like, they're very anxious creatures, and that they have to have a place where they feel safe. And the way that they feel safe is by being together, is one of the things that he made, which goes along with your point really well. Um, but by being together, and also... Um, that they're not being irritated by outside influences like bugs and, and, and things like that. Also that they're well-fed, well-watered, that type of thing. Those, ten, those types of things tend to relax the sheep and allow them to be able to lay down. Here, 
He provides a place. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. In other words, God's giving me that inner peace. And, and you could just go on and on and on in the Bible that, of the passages that talk about the inner peace that God gives us, right? Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you do I give to you, but my peace I give to you. I thought about that verse many times in my own hectic situations. What kind of peace does the world like to offer you? Based on circumstances, okay? You'll have peace if you have enough money in your 401k. You'll have enough peace if you can arrive at age 65 and have enough health to live the rest of your life. Um, you can have enough peace if you have the right job. You can have enough peace if you have the right wife. You can have enough peace if the kids act the right way. You know what I mean? The world offers peace based upon circumstances. You can have, oh, the big one is, is that, you, know, you can have peace if you buy this brand new car, you know, sit buying things or, you know, being the consumer mindset. Um, that's not the kind of peace that's being talked about here. The peace that's being talked about here is a peace and understanding that you literally have a shepherd that is going to watch over you every step of the way. Your only job is to be a sheep, right? To be a sheep in his pasture, to go where he tells you to go. So he says, verse 4, keep on going. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I realize we have a couple of people here that have went here in the last two weeks. Uh, we're just kind of going back through. We've been looking at Psalm 23 for the last two weeks. Uh, on, the TV. on the TV. Okay, good. So you, you're right along with us. I was going to pick up on a few things if, in case you didn't know. Um, but we talked about how the rod and the staff, those are the two main things. Uh, Clyde Wallace, you brought that up earlier. Those are the two main things that the, the shepherd carries around with them uh, to be able to care for the flock. One's for protecting, one's for offense. Uh, beating away wolves and and so forth you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies this is a a, um, a banquet table this is being honored okay this is a picture of someone who's being honored literally right in front of their enemies um, so the point is is that God is aware of the trials and the difficulties and for David here he's aware of all of the times when he's had literal enemies like Saul who tried to take his life and pursued him for his whole life so he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Again, it's a picture of bounty. It's a picture of blessing. And then verse 6. Surely goodness, my translation says, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Quick translational, translational note on verse 6. The word follow is not in the text. Um, when we were doing our, our Hebrew translation of this, um, we were going word by word, and I had grown up memorizing the King James. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word there actually is an emphatic. It means to be on pursuit. Okay? It's akin to like if you have a fugitive and you've got a cop or a detective that's on pursuit. They're trying to catch him. And what he's saying is, is that this, these things, goodness and mercy, they're not following me behind. They're pursuing me. They're chasing you. Okay? That's how excited God is to lead you on these paths of righteousness. Now, surely goodness and mercy. Let's do the, let's do the experiment. Did y'all circle the word mercy? Okay, mine says loving kindness. What does yours have? Mercy. Favor. Love. 
faith. Peace. Y'all are just throwing stuff out now, aren't you? Y'all are just throwing words out now. Faithful. Surely goodness and whatever this word is will pursue me all the days of my life. So what is this word? Did you guys, anybody have a chance to dig in? Rick says, I am prepared. I have done my homework. Go ahead, Rick. Just said. Okay. But it's actually a, a term that is used again of favor that really there is no one word that defines that in the exactly Hebrew right. term. So it's, it's a sense of well-being, it's a sense of completeness, it's a sense of, of the, well, the presence of God. And that, that was one of the things I wanted to go back to is verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Well, what causes us to fear is the unknown. Yeah. And you don't know what's going to come if it's out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. But he goes ahead and says, for thou art with me. So if God is with you in the darkest of nights, there's no reason to be afraid. And that's the whole point of that idea. We often think run ahead of the text and get to the death issue. Yeah. And, but that's not what it's about. It's about any situation where you don't know which way to turn, you don't know what to do, God is there. And so we will fear no evil. And the same kind of idea here that where he says that uh, you're your mercy will follow me, your, your favor will follow me, your, your well-being, your, your, your care, your concern, so many things that are intangible about God and his relationship to us, that's what rests on us. Okay, good. All right, Roxanne, you got a comment. Go ahead. Okay, this is not what I was going to originally say, but bouncing off of what Rick was saying, this is the shadow of death. Shadow is not reality. Ooh. Shadow, and, and that's the translation, so I'll leave it to my Hebrew scholars. It's the shadow of death. So death is not real. I mean, in, in this sense, it's not the reality. It may not be the end, um, the reality for those that are his sheep. That's a good point. Good point. Think about but that. one thing that I found in my study of loving kindness, the word, mm -hmm. yeah. was that it's, it's a combination of three aspects. That, and all three have to be present in no matter what word you use. Okay. Strength, steadfastness, and love. Okay. Because love by itself is just sentimentality. Oh, I like that. That's good. And then strength without love is a, a clanging gong. It's just obligation. So it, the, the elements of those three, strength, steadfastness, and love, um, personal involvement, commitment beyond the, the rule of law. Um, yeah, all kind, I got into Good. all kinds of stuff. But I thought that was very interesting. Those three elements must be, whether you call it mercy, but mercy without steadfastness, mm -hmm. mercy without strength. It has to have all of it. Yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. Did anybody else dig into this this week? I know we're about to run out of time, but I just want to say, did anybody else have a chance to dig into it? Both of you receive an A. Good job. The other ones, I'm not so sure. Not so sure. Not so sure. Yes, ma'am, Pam. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Would you like the notes from this study? Yeah. Yeah, I can give you that. That's no worries. So um, I think we got like two minutes. I'm going to stop here. So this word wound up being um, my favorite word in Hebrew. Like out of all the years I studied, it was my favorite word. And I remember the way that, that Dr. Cloud had us learn it is he didn't really talk about the word. He waited until we translated it. And so here you are, you're a, you're a young translator and you're trying to, to go, you're, you're reading the Hebrew and you're trying to bring it into English. And, and you've learned up until this point that, that what you're really dealing with when you're dealing with translation is ideas. You're not always just dealing with words. You're dealing with ideas behind words. And so, you know, we have ways of saying things that carry ideas that they didn't. So if I were to look at you and I said, man, that's easy as pie. Like, you know what that means. But if I went to an ancient Hebrew and said, that's easy as pie, they'd look at you cross-eyed. What in the world? Are you talking about easy as pie? That makes no sense. How is a sugary <laughs> thing easy, you know? So we, we got down to this word, and, I, and I, when I looked at the word in the Hebrew, it had 15 meanings. It had 15 different variations. And I'm like, how in the world do you bring that word, that idea, into English with just one word. It is almost impossible to do. Let me tell you what the word means. The word means, let me, uh, the Hebrew lesson. Everybody go, chesed. It's a harsh chet in Hebrew. It's, you have to, almost like, I know it's crass, but it sounds like you're hawking a loogie. Okay, chesed. Let's try it one more time. Chesed. Okay, very good. You'll know it because it sounds like you're just trying to get somebody. There you go, now spit it. No, I'm kidding. Um, here's what the word means. The word means all of the benefits that come out of having a covenant relationship with God. Oh, Isn't that beautiful? Over time, what I came to realize is that what the word is trying to describe to you is that when you're in a covenant with God and you're inside this covenant with God, there's benefits to that covenant, right? There's, there's things that happen because of the covenant. Well, whatever word you can fill in that blank is chesed. <laughs> okay? So that's why you have different translations in the English that don't know how to, they have no idea how to struggle with this. Well, where do we choose? If we pick love, it, it, it shortchanges the, the translation because you're leaving out so much. So what David is trying to say here, and I'm going to say it with the very last bell, is I want you to think about it in terms of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. David says, look, when you're in a covenant with God, God is not passive in the covenant. In the covenant with God, you don't have to worry about having any needs because He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. He's going to protect you. He's going to give you the food you need. He's going to give you the drink you need. He's going to give you the protection you need. And as you live this covenant with the Father, all of the benefits that, that come with having that relationship, they're going to pursue you the rest of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They are going to pursue you the rest of your life. And because of that, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? And to that we all say, amen. amen. Yes, ma'am. What's that? 
Chesed, okay. In the English, you spell it H-E-S-E-D. But it's pronounced Chesed, Chesed. It's a hard H, okay? All right. Father, thank you for this time. Help us to be prepared for, to, to worship you, Lord. Uh, thank you for the, the blessing of Psalm 23. I pray that we will uh, live our lives in response to knowing that all of these benefits are ours in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.